up, everyone. It's time for the Steve Noble Show, where biblical Christianity meets the everyday issues of life in your home, at work, and even in politics. Steve is an ordinary man who believes in an extraordinary God. And on his show, there's plenty of grace and lots of truth, but no sacred cows. Call Steve now at 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Or check him out online at thestevenobleshow.com. And now, here's your host, Steve Noble. Okay, I don't know if this is going to rise to the level of a cabinet position, but, uh, <laughs> I mean, this is pretty funny. I saw something about it this morning, and then I heard uh, something about it, listened to talk radio earlier today. And then I uh, printed off a story about it, so I want to talk about that. Uh, Biden's 2024 team. Well, which team is that? That's the stop the president from tripping team. Literally, there. This is actually a thing. Uh, which good timing because he's out there today. Stopped by the UAW picket line, the United Auto Workers. I saw a picture on Twitter of a guy when uh, Biden's uh, on the picket line, and this guy's looking at him, giving him the stink eye to say the least, uh, looking out of the corner of his eye, just like, "Are you kidding me? Like, what are you doing here? Get out of here." And it was funny because Jean Corinne Pierre Van Dam, whatever her name is, the White House press secretary, uh, she was getting hammered a lot yesterday by different members of the press, not Steve Ducey from Fox, but other people about, uh, I thought uh, you guys weren't taking sides here, but the president showing up and standing in the United Auto Workers line. If that's not taking sides, what is it? No, no, she, she, he's just showing that uh, he supports them, and he know, and he and he uh, trusts that between the United Auto Workers Union and the car companies that uh, there's going to be a <clears throat> landmark deal sharing their landmark profits. But we're not taking a side. And then he shows up uh, and and stands in the picket line with the United Auto Workers folks. So pretty amazing. But here's here's this story. And I got several things I want to get through here, some election stuff first, and then uh, a 60 minutes segment about where our money is going in Ukraine. That's got a lot of people upset, and rightfully so. And then something we all need to be aware of, uh, even though there's no recession coming, friends, and the economy is doing great because of Bidenomics. So when I get to this article for you, food banks are inundated with requests for aid, uh, don't pay any attention to it. Because obviously they don't understand Bidenomics and some things about sanctuary cities, especially New York and what's going on there, which I'm paying attention to because one of our four kids lives there. Uh, but here's a story. President Biden's campaign team is on a mission to prevent him from tripping in public. Uh, isn't that a problem in and of itself? As the 80 year old continues to struggle with the diagnosis of significant spinal arthritis which is the first time I'm hearing about that. The White House physician made the diagnosis earlier this year, and Biden has since had multiple public tripping incidents that have only compounded questions about his age. Now his team has made a conscious effort to make him wear tennis shoes and limit stair climbs to prevent another embarrassing fall. This is, uh, came out on Axios this morning. Biden is also undergoing physical therapy with specialist Drew Contreras, who also worked with President Barack Obama. Contreras has recommended several exercises to improve the president's balance. The outlet reported observers noted when Biden began wearing sneakers in public this summer after his nasty fall at the Air Force Academy in June. He also began boarding Air Force One via shorter stairs to a lower level. Another move aimed at preventing falls. 
The goal for Biden's team, team don't trip, I added that part, is to prevent the president from taking a spill in public during election season, something that could potentially damage his campaign. Yes, because they don't want us to see the, the truth. They don't want us to see the reality that this is a uh, old man who is becoming more feeble by the day and uh, has all kinds of issues, not the least of which are physical, but also mental acuity issues. And uh, not abnormal for a man his age, obviously, but not acceptable for a man of any age who's the president of the United States. So it's just remarkable to see that. And that's just where we're at, which tells you a lot about the state of the nation. And so uh, you wouldn't know that. So I, I mentioned yesterday the article out of Newsweek where the guy from the Young Turks was basically begging Biden to step down. Go to the other side, and here's the Washington Post. This came out today. If you want to save democracy in 2024, Biden is the only viable choice. Because, obviously, if Donald Trump comes in, you lose democracy if Joe Biden stays in, despite his obvious problems. Um, you save democracy, which is the way they're going to play this, assuming that Trump is the nominee. And Biden is still uh, in the game, in the hunt, a year from now. So it, it'll be... I mean, here's, here's how the Washington Post sees it. If Trump wins, the consequences will be dire enough domestically, imperiling U.S. democracy, but they will be even worse internationally. Among other alarming consequences, the Trump presidency could allow Russian leader Vladimir Putin to defeat Ukraine and remake the 20th, 21st century global order in favor of tyrants and aggressors. So how do we stop Trump? Biden is a feeble vessel at best, but he's the only realistic option we have. <laughs> wow. And then they go on to say he's talking about Biden. He's managed to pass big bipartisan bills, including infrastructure legislation that Trump only talked about. He has been even more impressive internationally, assembling a large coalition to oppose Russia's war of aggression in Ukraine and another coalition in East Asia to deter China uh, from aggression of its own. The economy, the ultimate barometer of a president's performance, has been doing much better than expected with low unemployment, declining inflation, and no recession in sight. <laughs> and I'll get to a couple other stories that will uh, show you that that's uh, ridiculous. So when it comes to Biden versus Trump, and I mentioned one of the polls yesterday, uh, this is from Just the News. Trump up five points over Biden in 2024. Rematch poll. Former President Donald Trump has staked out a modest lead over Joe Biden. Should the pair again face off for the White House in 2024, Trump claimed the support of 46% of registered voters in the latest The Messenger-Harris X survey. Biden trailed with 41% support, while 13% said they were unsure the Republicans' lead comes just as 40% approve of Biden's job as president, while 56% expressed a negative view of his time in office. Overall, 69% of respondents expressed a belief that the president ought not to run again a further 56% said the same of Trump. So a majority of Americans are like, uh, no, to either one of them. I wish we had a different option. But that's the option. Those are These are the options that we have. This is where we're at as a nation. So now I'm looking at uh, real clear politics. I'm going to take you through a general election, Trump versus Biden polling, which has been changing. And then some Donald Trump favorability versus unfavorable. Same thing with Biden. And then we'll move on to some of these other stories, uh, including New York. What's going on there with illegal immigration? Because it's devastating that city. As well as uh, Elon Musk heading to the southern border. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. It's Steve Noble. Great to be with you. Thank you for your time today, being a part of the conversation and looking at uh, what's going on out there in the polling and a lot of recent polling showing uh, Donald Trump beating Joe Biden. I mean, some pretty significant numbers recently, but you have to be uh, careful with all these things. They're national polls and national polls. Um, just kind of give you this flavor of where the country is in general, but you do not win a presidential election by um, national polling or even a national election. You win it one one state at a time. It's called the Electoral College. That's the deal so that we don't have uh, the most populous states and the most uh, populous cities in those states basically running the table when it comes to presidential elections. And that was part of the founding fathers brilliance when they came up with the constitution and uh and that was kind of going back to the problem of big states versus little states and how do you deal with that first and first and foremost in congress uh we're just talking about this today in one of my civics classes and the virginia plan and the new jersey plan virginia plan virginia was a big state new jersey was a small state so they were putting forth plans that favored big states or small states and then what they ended up with was the house is being is done being done by uh, the population of the state and then the Senate, which, by the way, was not done by the voting of the citizens in the state at first, uh, was done by legislatures and then eventually became turned over to, this, to uh, us. We vote on U.S. senators. But the plan was if you have a huge state like California, 40 million people, whatever the case may be, somewhere around there. And then North Dakota with less than a million people. And I was asking my students these questions. Should California have more representation in D.C. than North Dakota because it's 40 times bigger. And half the students are like, yes. Another half are like, no. And I'm like, okay, you that said no, why, why do you think that seems wrong? Well, that just seems like an unfair advantage. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, they would have a huge advantage. All the big states would. Is there any way to balance that out? Okay, now we're going to look at the U.S. Senate. Now we're going to – it doesn't matter how many people live in your state. In the U.S. Senate – it's going to be two per state. And I go through that with them. How many U.S. senators from California? Two. North Dakota, two. Illinois, two. Uh, Florida, two. New York, two. Rhode Island, two. Whatever. Okay, you see what's going on here? And then nothing gets out of Congress unless both chambers agree. So you have equal representation in one chamber. It's tilted by population in the other chamber. But they have to agree in order to get anything to the president. So now you're trying to doing, uh, you're kind of compromising. You're working in between the two. And the same thing with the Electoral College. It works the same way. So otherwise, go go Google the top 10 states in terms of population and the biggest cities, top 30, top, top 40 cities in America, and you'll see uh, if you're going to go with a popular election, like we just vote and it's just pure democracy, which is 50% plus one, no matter where the votes come from, you're going to find that uh, a few states in a 10 to 12 different cities because they're so populated, would decide the presidency. So that's a problem, thus the Electoral College. So President Trump, President Biden, nobody's going to get in by winning national polls. They have to win state by state. And many of the recent polls with Trump have been showing him up, you know, five points, ten points. And so that's changing rapidly as the, the state of the nation deteriorates and immigration and people getting frustrated. I'll get to that in a second with Ukraine and just overall with the with the um, economy the way it is. And a lot of people are like, yeah, this isn't great. And so that's why that ABC News Washington Post poll that just came out a couple of days ago had Trump up 10. And in the poll, if you go read it, they said themselves, oh, this is this is an outlier because <laughs> they, they can't possibly accept that that Trump could maybe win. 
And then you had a Messenger Harris X poll that came out just in the last uh, week that had Trump up five. Three other polls had a tie. Uh, the most recent one is Morning Consult that came out uh, today, I think, had had Biden up one. And so it's definitely gotten a lot tighter. Uh, but there's some other issues going on here. If you look at Trump, favorable versus unfavorable, 55% of Americans polled have an unfavorable view of him versus 41% that have a favorable. So that'll factor in sooner or later, especially with independence. But Joe Biden, he's a big mess as well. He's got a disapproval rate of 54 and a half and an approval of 41.4. So they're both underwater when it comes to that. And so it's just this really bizarre season. But one of the things going on is uh, the southern border and what's that's doing. And that's why it's been really interesting to watch in New York City with the mayor there, Eric, uh, Mayor Eric Adams. <clears throat> this was uh, this came out. But New York was he was talking about this just the other day. New York City is gearing up to pay over one billion dollars with a B, one billion on just hotels over the next three years to house illegal immigrants. Good. That's what happens when you call yourself a sanctuary city. This is on. Twitter, obviously. Uh, but that's just the hotel cost. New York City Mayor Eric Adams estimates the total cost of the migrant crisis will be about $12 billion over the next three years. Quote, we are past our breaking point, he said, with more than 57,300 individuals currently in our care on an average night. It amounts to $9.8 million a day, almost $300 million a month, and nearly $3.6 billion a year. Uh, and then there's a video here, which is fascinating. Residents in New York City have had enough, it says. In the video below, Staten Island locals were arrested for blocking migrant buses. And so this is a, a huge issue, and it's happening in blue cities, which like to call themselves sanctuary cities, until the chickens come home to roost, and then reality comes in. Remember, liberal progressives don't like to deal with reality. They just deal with narratives. They tell stories. But when you bring a reality in to interrupt their story, like with Mayor Eric Adams in New York City or the mayor in Dallas, they're like, OK, clearly this is a, this is a train wreck and we're not going to do this. We're not going to survive this. This isn't going to work, <clears throat> which is why I was glad to see this earlier today. Uh, that Elon Musk, love him or hate him, the guy's got a huge platform. OK, is he bizarre? Yes. Is he is he out there? He's got like. A, a bunch of kids with a bunch of different uh, wives. Yeah, he, there's parts of his life that are kind of a mess, but he does have a huge platform. He's highly intelligent. And so when he makes a decision to visit the southern border in Texas, uh, that's helpful because he's going to draw a lot more attention to it because he does have a big reach, not just with Twitter, but with everything else he does. So this is from Fox News. Tech, tech billionaire Elon Musk said on Tuesday he will visit the southern border in Eagle Pass, Texas. In the coming days, as the ongoing migrant crisis is escalating and seeing new record numbers, Musk, who owns Tesla, SpaceX, and X, has shown a significant interest in the ongoing crisis. In a post early Tuesday morning, he said that he had spoken to Representative Tony Gonzalez, a Republican from Texas, about the crisis and how it was a serious issue. No kidding. They are being overwhelmed, he tweeted, by unprecedented numbers just hit an all-time high and still growing. I'm going to visit Eagle Pass later this week to see what's going on for myself. Uh, which is good. You want somebody like Elon Musk down there because he'll bring a lot of attention to it. And, and, and the Democrats are just continuing to say the border's under control when obviously it isn't. Again, story, narrative on this hand, reality on this hand. Ignore the reality and just keep telling the story. 
It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's under control. It's under control. We did uh, Title 42. It's all good. Except just the other day, we had the biggest number (laughs) in a month that we've ever had, like 304,000. And just 11,000 like two days ago. It's a total train wreck. So I'm glad Elon's going down there. A lot more to talk about. This is Steve Noble on the Steve Noble Show. Don't go anywhere. Just trying to pay attention to what's happening in this world and in our nation. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back. It's Steve Noble, The Steve Noble Show. Where is all this money going, Mr. President? Uh, Do you have any contacts over in that part of the world? You know, Ukraine, that general area, any interactions, you, any family members, your son, maybe. Uh, Oh, speaking of Hunter, uh, he just pulled out a, a big lawsuit against Rudy Giuliani, blaming Rudy for his laptop woes. So Hunter's team is just... Throwing all kinds of stuff at the fridge and seeing what will fit or what will stick. It's really amazing to continue to watch that. But the Ukraine thing, uh, this is so typical. Uh, We have this problem in America with our federal government in terms of no accountability when it comes to expenditures, right? Where's the money going? And that's been a problem with international aid. It's a problem across the board. Uh, If they want to get something done, they know where the money's going, like with Title IX stuff, so they can control education at the state and local level. But when it's something like uh, Ukraine, they just play it up as we've got to help these people defend themselves against the evil of Putin. You're like, yep, absolutely. We can't let Ukraine fall to Russia and to Vladimir Putin. You can't do that. So then we just keep sending hundreds of millions and billions of dollars. Okay. so on 60 Minutes the other day, this is from The Daily Wire uh, article came out yesterday, a 60 Minutes segment broadcast on Sunday caused an uproar after the show reported that American taxpayers are subsidizing Ukraine's economy and paying for all of Ukraine's first responders. (laughs) What? Uh, Yes. The news comes as a recent Fox News poll found that 56% of Republicans say the U.S. should be sending less support to Ukraine. A recent CNN poll found that 55% of Americans say Congress should not authorize additional funding to support Ukraine. Quote, American taxpayers are financing more than just weapons. We discovered the U.S. government's buying seeds and fertilizer for Ukrainian farmers and covering the salaries of Ukraine's first responders, all 57,000 of them, the CBS News show reported. That includes the team that trains this rescue dog named Joy, this is on the screen, obviously, to comb through the wreckage of Russian strikes uh, looking for survivors. And... The U.S. also funds the divers who we saw clearly unexploded ammunition from the country's rivers clearing it to make them safe again for swimming and fishing. The segment continued. Russia's invasion shrank Ukraine's economy by about a third. We were surprised to find that to find that to keep it afloat, the U.S. government is subsidizing small businesses. Former acting director of national intelligence Richard Grinnell responded to the video, quote, billions for Ukrainian farmers, first responders and Ukrainian entrepreneurs, question mark. Why? The U.S. should be doing the tough work of peacemaking. We need aggressive diplomats if you want to avoid war. Where is the draft peace plan? Good question. Such things shouldn't need to be discovered by media outlets, said Fox News contributor Guy Benson. If this is what we are subsidizing, make it a fully transparent, make a fully transparent case for it. <laughs> oh. uh, that's exactly why they won't. 
Fox News co-host Rachel Campos Duffy added, quote, as American farmers, ranchers, and small businesses suffer from Biden's climate energy policies and basic city services are strained and cut because of his own open border policies, Joe Biden is subsidizing this? Don't tell me Biden isn't compromised. Okay, that's uh, something you have to consider. Is Joe Biden compromised? Either because of his own dealings directly or his son. Is there Ukrainian money flowing back and forth between the Biden family and that incredibly messed up and in many ways uh, morally bankrupt country? There's all kinds of uh, issues have been for years over there with corruption. And so Biden just never takes his hand off the spigot. And, you know, we'll never send this. We'll never send that. We won't send this type of tank. We won't send this type of plane. And now we're sending Abrams and one tanks and some F-16s via another country. So we're playing that game by proxy. But but there's no accountability here, as usual, which takes me back to the days of Ronald Reagan. Remember, Ronald Reagan hired a few people and tried to do some accountability there. One one guy at the end of the at the car, end of the Carter administration carried into the Reagan administration. They said, "Okay, go figure out how many different organizations there are in the executive branch of the federal government. Like how many departments and organizations are there actually?" And the guy that was heading up that team uh, ran out at 150, 150 different organizations and, and said, I'd have to go find the exact quote. Basically, he said, uh, there's more. It's just so convoluted that I can't find them. But there's definitely more. So 150. And that was back in the days. Remember when those reports were coming out and uh, the Department of Defense was paying like $400 for a toilet seat and $1,200 for a hanger. I mean, for a hammer. Remember crazy stuff like that? And But nobody wanted to deal with that. And, and when I talked to my students about it, they're like, how, how do people get away with that? I said, well, you, you got to understand when the bureaucracy of the federal government is as big as it is and as convoluted as it is, and you're just some little dude or dudette down there in the, in the bowels of the Pentagon, and you're just dealing with accounts billable and accounts payable all day. And this stuff comes in, even if you notice it, like, oh, here's a here's an invoice for two point eight million dollars. Well, we spend 16, 17 billion dollars a day. So that's not going to hit anybody's radar screen. That's chump change. It's like, oh, I got to pull over kids. I dropped a, a dime under the seat. No, you'll deal with that later. It's not a big deal. So that's that's what would happen. The bureaucracy is so big and so deep, people would get these things and they just go, ah, well, you know, whatever. I mean, that seems ridiculous, but uh, I'm not going to cause trouble and I'm just going to send it up the line and it gets paid for. And there you go. And that's exactly what's happening in Ukraine. So hopefully you'll have some Republicans and they're going to fold like a cheap suit this week, by the way, when it comes to the debt uh, ceiling limit and continuing resolutions where they should be saying, they should be holding the line. We're not giving you anything. We're not signing anything until we have a comprehensive plan for the southern border. We want uh, full accountability and transparency for the last, I don't know, $50 billion that we gave to Ukraine. We want to see where that money's going, yada, yada, yada. And you have to be willing to take the heat if you shut down the government, which is furloughing people, but they're still getting paid. So you have to be willing to do that. And, and Republicans almost never are willing to do that because they're going to be painted as those rasky, nasty Republicans 
who don't care about regular people. And, and they're fine uh, unemploying our brave men and women in the military, which doesn't happen. So once again, uh, it's kind of a shell game. And they assume our ignorance. I was talking to my civic students today. And so listen, uh, I was asking them, because we just kind of finished up. This was week number seven in class and finished up talking about all these kind of 30,000 foot philosophies, political philosophy, democracy versus republic. What led to our form of government? We were finishing up this week on the Constitutional Convention, which then you send out the Constitution to be ratified. And I'm like, on a scale from one to 10, how, how well do you think you grasp at this point after seven weeks in this class, uh, how, how America got to a constitutional republic that it is? And the Christian influence on the start of the nation, education, our founding fathers, uh, on a scale from one to 10, how, 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 where do you think you're at in understanding that? You get the big picture. And I went around the class, this class had, I don't know, 14, 15 students. And I would say the average number was seven, if you average them all out. Of seven. And I said, okay, praise the Lord, because that's what I'm after. Uh, and, and the fact that you guys at 14, 15, and 16 are at a seven on the general philosophy behind the Constitution and how we got to that point and how we got to the point of the revolution with British rule and, and, and King George III re-exerting British control after 130 years and all that stuff. And then understanding uh, why do we have the House is this way, the Senate's that way? Why do we have checks and balances? Why do we have three branches of government? And the fact that these teenagers are like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to give myself about a 7 out of 10. That's incredible. It's awesome. Praise the Lord for that. Because that is not the reality that's out there, regardless of age. I mean, most people are just incredibly ignorant about the formation of the nation, politically speaking, and a Christian influence on the nation, and the Constitution, how we arrived at that type of government, and how it works. And I finished up that conversation today saying, do you guys know anything about, uh, like, who in the federal government deals with counterfeit money? And nobody knew, because we haven't gotten to that chapter yet. I said, it's actually the, the Secret Service. And I said, what do you, when I say Secret Service, what do you think? And they're like, aren't those the guys that watch the president, like his security? Right. That's personal security for the president, vice president, secret service. But before that became a part of their uh, department, they were they were and still deal with counterfeit money. I said, do you know what the guys in the secret service that deal with counterfeit money? Do you know what they study all day? And again, I, I know hardly anybody's going to know the answer with my students. And I'm like, no, they study real money. Hour after hour, day after day, week after week. I'm sure it's very difficult to do that. They study the real thing over and over and over again. So that if you try to, you try to pass a fake 20, even if it's an awesome one, they know the actual, they know the true thing so well that they can spot a fake from a mile away. And so I told the students, that's what I'm trying to get you to, that you know our form of government, our constitution well enough that you know when it's being abused or ignored and when you're being taken advantage of and when your rights are being trampled. We need that for everybody in this country. Do we not? We'll be right back. And uh, could he have explained that a little more eloquently? Uh, sure. I'm sure he could have. But the fact that he took a stab at it in the first place. Never really wanted to be number one. 
Impressive. Welcome back, everybody. It's Steve Noble at the Steve Noble Show. I was just uh, chatting with my friends on Facebook Live and Rumble. You can join us there, the Steve Noble Show. Rumble, you don't have to sign up. You can just go there. Uh, Facebook, you do, but um, most of us are on Facebook anyway, the Steve Noble Show at both places. <clears throat> and I was playing a video. I'm going to play it for you in a second. It's not very long. Uh, it's from the University of Texas quarterback, Quinn Ewers. And uh, it was at a press conference he was doing. This is one of the biggest college football programs in the country. And uh, a great challenge to all of us as Christians in terms of what are we willing to say or talk about publicly when it comes to our faith. So I'm going to get to that one. Uh, but this is a really important story. When you consider what's going on in the economy, there's the information we get from the Congressional Budget Office and Fox News and Daily Wire and Glenn Beck and talk radio, wherever, New York Times, wherever you're reading, whatever you're checking out. So there's all that. Which, which definitely matters. But then there's things that kind of fly under the radar screen that are down on the street level, uh, which is why I, th I thought this uh, article was important to share. A quiet crisis. Food banks are inundated with requests for aid as inflation bites. This came out just yesterday. Food banks across the U.S. are reporting a massive uptick in demand as Americans continue to struggle with inflation. Several food banks told the Daily Caller News Foundation that the volume of requests for food has risen to levels even higher than during the COVID-19 pandemic as more people struggled to afford their daily expenses. Many food banks credited the increase in demand for food to inflation, which has cut into real wages and made purchasing everyday goods, including groceries, much more expensive. I can say without any fear of being wrong that this is the most amount of people that we've ever seen, including the COVID pandemic. Jerry Brown Director of Media Relations at St. Mary's Food Bank Alliance, which operates in the majority of Arizona, uh, told the D DCNF, inflation has really brought so many more folks to the edge in needing help. St. Mary's, whose main locations are in Phoenix and Surprise, but has had about, oh, I guess it's Surprise, Arizona, that's cool, but has around 800 agency partners across the state, had around 1,600 families come to its food banks on Thursday surpassing the roughly 1,100 on average seen during COVID-19 and the 700 on average before 2020. Did you see that? Before 2020, uh, about 700 families a day. During COVID, it was 1,100 a day. But recently, 1,600 families come to their food banks across Arizona in one day. Brown also pointed out that an increasing number of seniors are seeking assistance as their Social Security payments have failed to keep up with the rapid rise in inflation. Ouch. Inflation peaked in June 2022 at 9.1% year over year, ultimately decelerating to 3% for the year in June before picking back up again in July and August. Due to inflation, the price of food in particular has risen 16.9% compared to two years ago. Ouch. That's according to the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. We're calling it a quiet crisis, Les Sinclair, communications and PR manager for the Blue Ridge Area Food Bank, told uh, the Daily Caller. We know that the lines don't make the headlines like they did during the pandemic. So even though while those lines are invisible, the need is still there and certainly at higher than pre-pandemic levels. So it's something that is affecting everyday folks across the country, hardworking folks that have jobs. And you think about the seniors who have paid into Social Security and they're not getting enough to get by. BRAFB, which serves 25 counties and eight cities in a primarily rural area around the Blue Ridge Mountains, reports that the number of people served on average per month was 127,500 for fiscal year 2023, which ended in June, compared to 109,000 who were served during fiscal year 2022. 
So it went up from 109,000 to 127,000, which is about almost a 20% increase. So what we're seeing is that inflation is really taking a toll on people, Sinclair told uh, the Daily Caller. The reduction in SNAP benefits and the reorganization or the need to reauthorize for Medicare is also affecting people as well. And just simply the wages aren't rising as fast as inflation is. Real wages have significantly degraded, the next paragraph, following the high inflation of the past few years, with median weekly real earnings for both wage and salary workers falling 7.1% in the second quarter of 2023. Yikes. Donations to the Houston Food Bank have, have decreased since the pandemic, yet the need for assistance continues to rise. Amy Reagan, chief development officer of the Houston Food Bank, told the Daily Caller, one in eight residents in our 18-county service area experience food insecurity. One in eight. And we are working harder than ever to assist with food distribution and other Houston Food Bank programs. From June to August, the Houston Food Bank saw a 19% increase in food it distributed, handing out 10 million pounds of food for the month of August. The number of individuals receiving food increased from 260,000 to 311,000 in that same time period. Man. Hey, hey, friend, if you have plenty of food at home tonight, like we do, uh, let's all remember this article and pray for the people that are literally struggling with getting their next meal. The government's supplemental poverty measure released in September found that from 2021 to 2022, poverty for children rose from 5.2% to 12.4%. And for the general population from 7.8% to 12.4%, that's about 50%. Median household income adjusted for inflation also fell from 76,330 to 74,580 in that same time period. The Los Angeles Regional Food Bank has also seen increasing demand for the year, distributing about 34% more food in August compared to January, while the number of people served has increased 13% from January until June. Compared to what I've heard from others, final paragraph, we're treading water, but I would say we're doing okay. We can always use more, but I think we're not in such a challenging situation that perhaps some of our colleagues Michael Flood, CEO of Los Angeles Regional Food Bank, told the Daily Caller. Then some of the pandemic area programs have ended too, which from what we can tell has led to some increase in the demand for food assistance starting this past spring. So you have a house of cards that's just getting worse. And that's why for us as Christians, you know, we have to be thinking about this. Uh, do you, with whatever you give, are you giving to anything that is directly involved with helping the poor. I'll never forget uh, a Tim Keller message I heard years ago. And Tim Keller wasn't known for being really kind of in your face, controversial with stuff. But this one message, I mean, he, he was talking about poverty and, and how often God's word talks about poverty in the Old and New Testaments. And he made a shocking statement. He, he said, if, if you're not doing something to regularly help the poor, Somehow, some way, financially, personally, if you're not doing something to regularly help the poor. He said, I, I, Tim Keller said, I, I seriously think you need to question whether you're an actual believer or not. And I was like, okay, from a theological perspective, uh, I don't have to give to the poor in order to be saved. But once you're saved, given the weight that the scriptures give to helping the poor, if we don't do anything about it, isn't there at least a hole there? And, and he, I think he's right. There's definitely a hole there. I wouldn't go so far as to say it's salvific, but there's a hole there. 
And so that, that's the question. My wife and I were talking about this just recently and, and moved some stuff around uh, and are giving to help uh, a more frontline ministry than some other things we were doing. And, and I, we certainly, I'm not saying we're over the top generous because we're not, not nearly what we should be. That's on us. But this food bank story, at least let's pray for these folks. And if there's any way you can rearrange what you give, maybe we should be sewing a little bit more into stuff like that than whatever else you might be doing. Just a thought. Okay. Uh, one other thing I wanted to share real quick, to just to uh, goon my cousin a little bit, who's on Facebook Live and is an Aggie. I come from a family of Longhorns. Set all that aside. This isn't about college football. Uh, but this is about a college football player. University of Texas quarterback Quinn Ewers, uh, who's been having a great season, and he's being interviewed. And they're kind of asking him about what well, seems like you're having a lot more fun this year than you did last year. What's up with that? Here's what he said. Let me get to this. Back here, Sark just mentioned about wanting you to have more fun out there just playing the quarterback position. How are you allowing yourself to have more fun this season versus last season? Yeah, I feel um, I feel like God has told me that this game doesn't define me as a human being, um, which allows me to play more freely. Um, I think that's been really the biggest thing for me. Um, it's just listening to him more and, and not just focusing on my own ways um, and knowing that he has a plan for me and to, to pursue his truth and, and to continue to, to seek his truth. And I think that's really been the biggest thing for me. And there's only one way through freedom, and that's through Jesus Christ. So find Jesus and you'll, you'll do everything else will be free. Okay. Now, here's the thing about that. You know, that last little comment, find Jesus Christ and everything else will be free. Okay. You want to take issue with that? Like, what does that mean? Uh, my point of playing that, the University of Texas quarterback, is not that. I mean, I don't, I don't even care about that relative to the fact that this young guy who has a platform, and, and by the way, you do too. We all have a platform. None of us have a platform like he does, most likely. But we all have a platform. And, and at what? Is he 22, 21? His willingness in front of all the cameras and all the press, which is, you know, pretty much just secular across the board, his willingness to go right to his faith and then to drop the J-bomb into the conversation and bring up Jesus and true freedom. Man, that, and you know, that, that takes guts. It's always taken guts. But especially today in America, in our context, where Christianity isn't in as much favor as it used to be, and do you, you worry about people rolling their eyes? They're going to reject you. They're going to think you're a nut job, whatever. He just came right out with it. So praise the Lord for Quinn Ewers, the quarterback at University of Texas, who was courageous enough and bold enough to share his faith publicly. And uh, let that be a challenge to all of us. This is Steve Noble on the Steve Noble Show. God willing, I'll talk to you again real soon. And like my dad always used to say, ever forward.